the conflict in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus was more intense, more fiery, and literally more deadly than any in which we find ourselves today, as disturbed as we might be by them. You didn't have to walk very far in the Palestine of that time to see a cross, or more than one cross, on the horizon. And into that boiling cauldron of conflict, Jesus came deliberately. He was sent by God into that conflict. That's what God does. If you want to know what God is like, then that is what he's like. He wades into our mess, our toxicity, our, our hate, our divisions, our polluted environment, our cancel culture, and our killing fields. And he is there with us. We're going to look at a few verses this morning from John chapter 7. This is a, 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 um, a recounting of Jesus who ends up in Jerusalem during the time of what was known as the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a time that happened, uh, the feast that occurred in late September to mid-October in the Jewish calendar, five days after the Day of Atonement, and just as the fall harvest has been completed. And it's a time of celebration as, as Israel, as the Jewish nation, celebrates the harvest that's there, but also, of course, a time of remembering how God has been good to them through the centuries, and especially during that 40-year period in the wilderness when they were wandering. It's one of the three uh, Jewish feasts in which all native-born Jewish males were commanded to attend. Jerusalem was full for this feast, not just of celebration, as I've noted already, but of tension and conflict, political, economic, religious, and social. Men and women, just like you and me, who no doubt argued and perhaps even fought amongst themselves as they tried to come to terms what was happening in their world, with what was happening in their world. And Jesus just moved was willing to walk right into this boiling cauldron. What I'd like to do this morning is, uh, again, this is another long chapter. There's a lot you could pick out. But what I'd like to do is focus a little bit on the reaction of the people of Jerusalem to Jesus as he was amongst them on those days of the feast. It lasted about a week. But before I do that, just a little bit of a side note. This passage in John chapter 7 is maybe not the pinnacle, but almost in John, but certainly in these chapters of the Jewish opposition to Jesus. I can't read the whole chapter this morning because of time, but if you read the chapter yourself, you will, you will, you will feel this increasing opposition and actually desire to kill Jesus that was there among the Jewish people. And this chapter, as I'm sure you will know, has been used throughout history as a source for wicked and deadly anti-Semitism. And our American culture of today 
is not immune to that. The Anti-Defamation League, which tracks anti-Semitic behavior nationwide, found 2,717 anti-Semitic incidents in 2021, which is a 34% rise from the year before. That averages to more than seven anti-Semitic incidents per day, the highest the Anti-Defamation League has ever tracked in the United States in its 40 years of existence. Anti-Semitic acts were going down in the U.S. for almost 15 years, and then in 2016, they started to move up, and we now have triple, nearly triple, the number of incidents than we did in 2015. And although no one who commits these acts is probably reading John 7 and then going out, throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of Europe, this John 7 has played a role in as, as, as being a place people have gone to to justify this anti-Semitism. And I wanted to just spend a moment on that just because it's something that we need to address and deal with. The Gospel of John was likely written late in the first century, after the fall of Jerusalem. And after the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of Palestine, um, the Jewish communities, the Jewish people, as they were there, but also scattered around the Mediterranean, were trying to figure out how how do we live as Jews now that we no longer have our land or have our temple? The challenge facing the Jewish community was how, to, how do we live out our Judaism, our commitment to God, our being his covenant people without the land and without the temple. And John was writing his gospel with that present day crisis in the background. Imagine like we're reading it now with these present day crises or our present day crisis, however you want to determine it in the background. But he was also thinking back to that time when Jesus was there, when Jesus was was in conflict with the Jews of that time. So he intended his gospel to be read on two levels. Where am I today? In the late first century. And where was Jesus and where was Jerusalem back in that time? So John, in his gospel, this is generally known if you read the commentaries, distinguishes between what he calls the Jews. Again, we're not going to read through this whole chapter, but if you do read through it, you will notice, and if you read through John, John refers to, quote, the Jews. And what... John probably intends with that designation, the Jews, is probably two things. One is kind of a geographic um, designation, the Jews living in Jerusalem and in Judea, the southern Jews, which were the ones that mostly had conflict with Jesus, and then also the ones that were in conflict with him. When you think about the geographic definition uh, designation, Someone gave this example, which I thought was helpful. Um, This term, the Jews, is similar to the way we here in North America use the term Yankee. So if you're living where we are now in in the mid-Atlantic area, you might um, 
use the term Yankee for New Englanders. I haven't heard that very much. Perhaps some of you know this. That's not a thing that I'm... But that can happen. If you're in the South, you use the term Yankee to refer to Northerners. And if you're in Mexico, if you're a Mexican, you might use the term Yankee to refer to all of Americans. That's the way to look at this designation of the Jews that John is using. And then he uses, and we'll, we'll read, you'll see this in some of the verses that we talked about, he uses the term the people. And even as we read through these verses, you will see that distinction. He's talking about the people who are responding to Jesus in a totally different way than the Jews are. Someone has said, this should actually be seen more as a sibling rivalry. Two groups of people, Democrats, Republicans, to translate it into our time, trying to figure out in the time of Jesus what's going on, but in the time of the end of the first century, what is going on. And it certainly is never, ever a reason to ostracize or demonize, or at worst, do away with Jewish, the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish nation, Jewish people. There is no basis here for any anti-Semitism at all. And I'm sure that none of you listening to me would even think of yourself as anti-Semites or anything like that. But it is an issue. And throughout the history of the church, theologically, it has been rooted a lot of times in chapters like this, so I felt it was worth mentioning. So Jesus walks into this cauldron that's Jerusalem, and he's teaching and he's, he's interacting with people in all the ways that he does. And how do people respond to him? Well, I've picked out a number of verses that will be projected now, and again, we can't read through everything, we just don't have the time. So after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, and I'm hoping that you're aware that Galilee is in the north, and Judea is in the south. That's where Jerusalem is. So Jesus is going about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, because who? The Jews. See what he's saying there? Not, not every Jew that's ever lived. This particular designation... We're what? Seeking to kill him. That's a possible response to Jesus. The next one, John 7, 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. So here's a group, I don't know how many there were, but there were a couple, more than one, who had grown up with him, who knew him that intimately, and didn't believe him. And then in verses 12 and 13, there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, and notice here, not the Jews, but the people. See the distinction? While some said, he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of whom? The Jews. The people who had the power. No one spoke openly of him. Then the next one in verses 25 to 27. Some of who? The people, again, 
of Jerusalem therefore said, is, this, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and so they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities, the Jews, really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. And then in 31, Yet many of whom the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? And then in 32, the Pharisees and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you run across that often in the New Testament, but especially in John, would be a subset of the Jews. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the people who had the the, the religious and even some political power. They were like the, the officials. They were like the, the congressional, or maybe that was Senate that I showed there. I think it was Senate. They were like those people. They were actually sitting behind the desk making the decisions. But they would be included in this group, the Jews. When the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests, and the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to what? Arrest him. And then the last uh, section. When they heard these words, some of whom the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So basically, if you read through this chapter and and the chapters surrounding it, you come up with three basic responses to Jesus. The Jews, remember that designation, the Jews, the people in power, wanted to arrest and kill him. They saw him as an enemy, as a threat to their culture, to their country, to their ethnicity, to their way of life. There was this um, not very well hidden hostility to Jesus because he was threatening their power. And then there was this among the people, as as you've been able to see, this going back and forth. They didn't really know what to make of him. They were confused. Some thought he was a good man saying good things. Could he be the Christ? But we don't know where he came from, or he he came from Nazareth, and that's not really the place where he's supposed to come from. What do we make of this guy and the miracles that he's doing and the things that, that he's saying? Maybe he's a good man. Maybe we should follow him. But maybe he's leading us astray. We just don't know. And they're busy listening to him, following around listening to everybody else, listening to each other, discussing among themselves what's going on here and what do we do with it. And then there were some, many, John says, who actually believed him. 
actually followed him, who gave their allegiance to him. They trusted that he was the Christ. So Jesus is in Jerusalem in this boiling cauldron, and he's speaking and healing. There's all these different reactions. The Feast of Tabernacles went on for seven days. And each day during the Feast of Tabernacles, a priest drew an urn of water from the pool of Siloam and carried it through the water gate while the people recited Isaiah 12.3. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Once inside the city, they paraded through the city with this urn of water to the altar. And at the end, when they got to the altar, the priest poured the urn of water over the altar. He did that every day in exactly the same way, except on the seventh day. The last day of the feasts, they took the urn with water before they poured it, and they marched around the altar seven times. And seven, of course, is the number of completion in the Jewish culture. So now listen how John almost, he's not quite at the end of the chapter, but he's almost there. On the last day of the feast, so they've had these six days, now they have the seventh day, with this special ritual, this special joy, the marching around the altar seven times, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In the midst of this boiling cauldron that was Jerusalem, Jesus stands up and in a loud voice invites the Jews, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the people who were confused and didn't know, people who were fighting amongst themselves and arguing, the people who believed on him, come to me. Here is life, right here. Remember we talked about life last week? We gave this one definition from Frederick Buechner. Eternal life in the full and final sense is to be with God as Christ is with him and with each other as Christ is with us. So Christ as this center point, you can see now all eyes of this feast in Jerusalem turn to him. And he's saying, I am God, come down from heaven. When you look at me, you see God. And when you come to me and follow me and give your allegiance to me, there is life. Because you're connecting yourself to the source of life that started at creation and continues through the whole history of the world. And when you do that, when you come to me and connect yourself to me in whatever way you do that, 
This living water will give you life and it will flow through out into your community. In the midst of the boiling cauldron that your life might be right now, or our community, or the streets of our cities with the violence, the gunshots. My son lives in Strawberry Mansion and hears gunshots regularly. Just this week, he told us a few weeks ago, he was working at home in his office. He has a room in the back that he works in. He was on a Zoom call. And he ducked under the windowsill. Into that cauldron. Into the cauldron of our capital. Into the cauldron of our Senate office. office, uh, Senate office and Senate halls. Into the cauldron of our school board meetings. Into this cauldron of our news channels. All of those cauldrons. Jesus comes and stands up and says in a loud voice. If anyone thirsts. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me. Whoever gives his allegiance to me. Whoever follows me. Out of his heart. Will flow rivers of living water bringing life to you in your cauldron and bringing life to us in the cauldron in which we live. Do you not long for this for yourself, for your family, for your workplace, for our communities, for our nation? for our world and for our creation. If you long for it, how are you going to respond to this Jesus?